like perceive, observe, allow me into your life and into your heart. And I'm going to begin to shape and I'm going to begin to remold and what you gaze upon is actually going to make you different. What you gaze upon is going to shift and change who you are. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Before this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, or Kephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Lord God, you have called us um, into this life, into this remarkable, um, ordinary, <laughs> um, wild, adventurous life. And God, in the midst of it, um, you have used such simplicity to call us into the depths. So I pray, Lord God, that as we turn our eyes towards your gospel this morning, that we would be changed and transformed, that we would hold you more closely at the end of this hour and at the beginning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the earliest people interested in Jesus Christ um, as someone that they were committed to following had one question for Jesus. Did you hear it in there? Where are you staying? Where are you staying? They've already been following John the Baptist. They're already someone's disciples. They've already left whatever life they had beforehand, whether they were fishermen or tanners or, I don't know, wagon wheel rounders, uh, the things that people did in the first century in Palestine. They've already left that whole life and they decided to go follow a guy who lives in the wilderness, baptizes people in a dirty river, uh, read Naaman's story if you want to know about the River Jordan, baptizes people in a dirty river and preaches to them about doing their life different. 
just judges people left and right. And they've already left everything that they are to go be with John the Baptist, this camel hair wearing, locust honey eating, dreadlock probably having kind of guy living out in the desert. And yet as they're with him, John the Baptist himself sees Jesus and says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was before me, even though he came after me, he was still before me. And so if you're the kind of person who's already left your whole regular life to go live this weird, follow this weird desert guy, and then the weird desert guy all of a sudden says, hey, by the way, that guy over there is more important than I am. I'm here just to announce him. I'm the pregame show. Okay, he's what's really going on. You don't stick with the desert guy, right? You immediately leave. And so both of those disciples do. They bounce. <laughs> John the Baptist, nice to know you. Uh, I'm, I'm going after Jesus. And when they come and find him, Jesus turns and looks at them. What are you seeking, he says. Some of your translations probably say, what do you want? What do you want? And I, I don't think it's, you know, what do you want? It's, it's, I don't think it's one of those. <laughs> and, and I don't think it's a, hi, my name is Jesus Christ. How may I help you? You know? It's this like piercing question. And as you read the Gospel of John, John uses, we'll get into it a little bit later, but he uses like super simple language to just cut through all the fog and the garbage and the darkness and get right to the core of what's going on. And so Jesus like turns on these two guys who are walking behind him, looks them in like, not even looks them in the eye. He, like, looks them in the heart. <laughs> if you ever had somebody, like, oh, man, like, stop looking at my soul. <laughs> You're, like, looking through everything that I am to what I'm really about. And he says, what are you seeking? Like, what is it that you're really after? I know that you're walking after me, and I know that you say you want to follow me because the guy you used to follow said, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what is it that you really want? And we need to ask that question. What are you seeking? What drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What keeps you from keeling over in the middle of the day? What would cause you to leave what you're following now and follow someone else completely? And I think Jesus starts his whole discipling, apostling process, project, with this question. Because if we don't ask that question at the start, 
we're going to find what our heart is really seeking. You know, it may be that what we really want is just somebody who won't leave us. Right? We just want to make sure that someone's going to be next to us. That someone will just be there. And if that's what you're really seeking, that's probably what you're going to get. But there's going to be a whole lot of other stuff along with that that you don't want. It may be that we're really just seeking, like, we want to be successful. We want to have all the worldly glory that can be showered and poured upon us. And we may get it. But you have no clue the emptiness and the despair that's going to come along with that. You see, like the things that we say that we're seeking are often not what our real heart's desires are. And oftentimes the way that God saves us is by giving us what we want, allowing us to actually get the thing that we're seeking. And then we discover that it's empty. I've been talking with a, two or three of you <laughs> about food and sugar, and the way that we eat. <laughs> and it's like, you know that feeling of like, well, there's a cupcake in the fridge. I don't want it, but it's in the fridge, and I'm supposed to eat things that are in the fridge, <laughs> so I'm going to go eat it. <laughs> and I'm not happy after I eat it. <laughs> and it's not better in me than it is in the garbage, <laughs> but I eat it anyway. <laughs> There's just this like emptiness to the process that we go through of I'm going to, I'm, I, the chief of sinners am here. It's like, I know that I run and things, but you know what? I just like run so that I can justify eating terrible food all the time. <laughs> it's like the whole purpose of running a marathon. It's like, oh, that, I get to eat 40 cakes if I run one marathon. But it's like this empty process, right? Where we're not actually receiving anything that gives life. All right, I'm not going to go too far down that road. Okay. So, and they, the response that they get from Jesus, right? What are you seeking? What do you really want? What's your heart's desire? The response that they get from Jesus seems so out of the blue. They say, where are you staying? Jesus asks where they, what they seek. And they ask, where he's staying. The word stay is an important one, and it's an important one in John. You can translate it dwell, abide, right? It doesn't just mean, you know, what's your address? Where are you staying right now? I want to come by and see your new digs. It means what kind of life are you living? When they say, Jesus, where are you staying? They mean, Jesus, what are you plugged into? What is the source of your life? What are you about? Who are you about? Where are you from and where are you going? That's what they mean. But they ask, where are you staying? I think they're asking, are you living the kind of life that I can follow? 
Am I invited into your fellowship? Can I come after you? Is there space where you're staying for me? John 14, which we read with the teens today. Jesus says, where I am going, I will build a place for you and you will come and stay with me. It's going to take him 13 chapters, but he gets to this. I'm making a place for you to dwell. Jesus, are you living a life like John out in the desert, calling people to repentance? Are you living a triumphant, revolutionary life like the zealots who want to overthrow Rome? Where are you staying? You've no doubt encountered people in your life who want you to follow them or show up to their things <laughs> or vote for them or donate to them. They may be teachers or leaders or preachers, politicians. Some of you probably have family members who want to create little teams that go against other teams in your family. There's athletes, there's musicians who are convinced that because of their skill, you should follow them. There's even a button you can push on Facebook so you can go follow somebody. <laughs> but I wonder how often we ask the question of those people, where are you staying? What's the fruit in your life? Before I give you my love, before I give you my attention, before I give you my affection, before I allow myself to be drawn into your circle of influence, where are you staying? What are you about? Are you bearing good fruit? And am I able to join you? So that's the first word today, stay. There's another word that gets used in this passage. In fact, it's one that Jesus uses here. It reminded me, I'm like 11, 12 years old, speaking of junior high, um, coming into, what was the phrase you prayed today, Cody? Receiving the inheritance of their culture, which is what happens when we're that age. We start to, our eyes begin to open to things. I remember I, when we were in the grocery store, I'm in the grocery store with my mom, and it happened like every time I went to the grocery store and we go to check out, you know, and when you're eight, you're just like, I wonder if I can convince my mom to buy me, you know, lifesavers or something here. But when you're 12, it's like, oh, what's that magazine? <laughs> and my mom had this habit of, she'd sit there and she'd hum the old song. What? I forgot the melody. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? <laughs> She wouldn't sing it out loud. She'd just hum it so I could hear it. <laughs> and nobody else around me. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Um, <laughs> although that's not the spirit that it's ever sung in. He's looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And I think my mom knew, she understood that I was at this like transitional place in my life where what I chose to see would change me. That what I allowed into my brain and into my heart and into my soul would shape me. Jesus here, in this, this passage is only like 13 verses, 
nine times in those 13 verses, Jesus uses a word for see. In, our, in the English, it comes out like behold or look or see. But he uses seven different words. He like goes through the whole gamut, like every word you can use in Greek for see, he uses in these like 12 verses. The ESV, the translation we read from, it's pretty literal, but even it doesn't pick up on all of this. And every single time that that verb shows up, you know what the subject is or the object of it? What are you supposed to see? You're supposed to see Jesus. You're supposed to see the Spirit. You're supposed to behold the Lamb, right? Every time it's Christ himself or one of the members of the Trinity. See, we can look out into the world and we can see things and some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are neutral. But when we allow them in and when we really see and when we, I mean, the way John is saying is like what you see and what you perceive and what you look at and what you gaze upon and what you observe. Like he's just over and over. How can I get this across that what you allow into your face and into your brain and into your heart is going to change you? And so when Jesus responds to these disciples, the initial words that he says, they say, where are you staying? He says, come and see. Come and see. We kind of have this, we're working on it. We're working on putting it into place. So if you haven't heard about it, it's cool. We'll get to you. Uh, but we kind of have this four-step process of discipleship that we're working on here. And the first step, is to come and see. All four steps are actually from the Gospel of John, but that first step is from right here in this verse. Come and see. Why? Because when we're seeking God, when we're seeking Christ, the answer that Jesus gives is never, oh good, you, you're seeking me. Therefore, here's these 12 things you need to know. Here's these three things you need to do. Report to me back on Wednesday. No, he says, come and see. Like, perceive, observe, allow me into your life and into your heart. And I'm going to begin to shape, and I'm going to begin to remold, and what you gaze upon is actually going to make you different. What you gaze upon is going to shift and change who you are. Jesus invites these disciples into an initial relationship. You know, my mom knew that if I spent too much time looking at magazine covers and what's inside the magazines and what they represent and that whole pocket of the culture, that I would start to become somebody who saw what is beautiful as not beautiful because it wasn't airbrushed and made up and twisted into some version of beauty, right? That they can then be marketed and sold to me, by the way. And so she intervened as a mother at that point to go, you know what? We're not going to do this. I want to protect you from that because that way lies a whole lot of darkness. And if I'd kept my eyes focused on that part of the culture, I would have begun to think that that's what beauty is. 
I would have begun to think that the most important thing is for me to know what my girlfriend really wants. That's the headline anyway. <laughs> and everyone knows that that's false. I would have begun to think like so many of the young people and the middle people and the old people in our culture who spend their time gazing at a scrolling screen that we are what we post, that we're not really enough, that we're not really lovable because our lives don't measure up to some other life that we see out there. It twists us. It twists our understanding of what is valuable, of what is good. We twist youth. Rather than our youth being an opportunity for us to use our strength to develop the virtue and the grace of God that we then continue to extend and to practice throughout our life, we've turned youth into this like, probably like 12-year party, right? From like 16 to 20. At 28, you got to start to really get serious and realize you're going to be 30 soon, you know? Life's not always going to be fun. But you got like, <laughs> right? You know, but from like 16 to 28, it's like, you know, you go and you do and you go to college if you have to and then you party and you like travel and you just travel. You got to soak up all that experience because experience will save you. We twist youth into something that it's not. Truth is, we twist age into something that it's not. You all may not feel it because you're more rooted than most, but our culture has a way of prioritizing youth at the expense of everyone else. We often dismiss and hide those who don't conform to the ideal. So all of us who are past 25 or 26 or 28, it's a, it's a hard day when I realize that all the NBA players that I really like are younger than me. And I just like... You know, my future prospects, there's no way for me to ever make it. I'm just going to have to live with the fact that I never made it to the NBA. But from that point on, it's like this long, slow decline. You're just sort of like slowly sliding into the grave from 30 on. <laughs> Sorry. I, I mean, I didn't bring, mean to bring bad news to y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we know that's not the case, right? And in the church, we honor both the young and the old and the in-betweens because of the grace of God who intervenes in human life and says that no life is worthless. A God who has made flesh, human flesh, who therefore redeems and saves human life. Despite what our culture says, no one is less important or less worthy of being seen because they're retired or because their energy has dropped off, because they've slowed down. God gives the aged wisdom and opportunity to prepare the coming generations for the work and the gifts of the church. He also gives those who are beyond their physical strength the time and opportunity. I, b I believe this so wholeheartedly, so let me say all of you got to have something left because you made it here this morning. But let me just tell you, I don't care how you feel. You made it here. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 
we are given an opportunity. My, one of my goals for my life is that by the time I'm like 85, 90, and I can't get out of bed anymore, and I should stop talking, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that, that I, like in my heart and in my mind and in my spirit, my life will just be prayer. My life will just be prayer. Because of the previous dozens of years <laughs> that I've turned my heart and my mind toward God, that I'll be so patterned in that way that when I no longer have the strength to do something new, that my mind and my heart will be turned toward Christ. And my prayer for you is the same, that we'll be caught up into that moment of saying, even now as my eyes fail, I'm still saying, how can I see Jesus? How can I see the Lord? How can I come into God's presence? And I think about it as we miss people here sometimes. We come on Sunday morning and we go, ah, is somebody going to be here or not? And we think, like, I think, like, I haven't seen Winnie in weeks. And that's probably my fault. <laughs> but it's important that we don't allow people to go unseen, right? But that as we gaze on Christ, we keep in mind the opportunities to see those next to us, to see those close to us, even to see those far from us that we can reach out in one way or another. It may be that we have to change what we fix our eyes on. And if we want to be better, if we want to be different, if we want our life to change, we have to change what we watch. We have to change what we look at. We have to change what we observe and perceive. We have to be and follow what John says, which is to behold the lamb. Look at the lamb. This is what it's going to be to gaze on the Lord. I'm reminded of Isaiah who cried out, Woe is me when he saw the Lord. He saw into the throne room of God and he thought, I'm going to die because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I've seen what I shouldn't have seen. I am going to die. But then we get to the book of Revelation and in chapters 4 and 5, it's like John now looks into that same throne room and what is it that he sees people saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And you know, that is what John the Baptist is pointing toward. When he says, behold the lamb, he's got this little piece of what John in Revelation is going to see. And he sees it in Jesus Christ. That he is the very lamb of God and that as we follow this lamb, we're brought into the very presence of God who is Father, Son, and Spirit because Jesus of Nazareth is the presence and the revelation of God. And it all begins when we see the Lamb, when we behold the Lamb. And John calls him, interestingly, he calls him a Lamb, which is weird depending on how much you know the Old Testament because there's not a whole lot of lambs in the sacrificial system. There's some. But you know, the one in the Old Testament, the one who actually takes sin away is a goat, the scapegoat. And he doesn't call him the goat of God. 
And the one who, if you really commit sin and you come in and you got the resources you what you want to bring is a bull. Because you can really feed a lot of people with a bull, and that's a really big sacrifice, and bulls are a lot bigger and more expensive than lambs. Right? It's like, don't sacrifice your Ford Pinto, like bring me the Hummer, you know? And but he is not the bull of God. He's not. He calls him the Lamb of God. Lambs who were sacrificed at Passover. Lambs who are the covenant meal between God and his people. And lambs who were led gently and willingly almost to the slaughter. And that's the image the New Testament writers used to catch up and condense that whole system into Jesus Christ. He was the lamb who was slain, who conquered sin and death, not with violence, but with gentleness and obedience. True power, we discover, is not in our ability to inflict violence, but in our ability to keep our eyes fixed on Christ in the midst of our suffering. So where does it all leave us? What remains? Well, I think it leaves us where we began, which is that we are to remain in Christ. This is where John goes with his gospel. Eventually, he gets to John 15. And Jesus says, stay in me, abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Anyone who abides in me will bear much fruit. But anyone who does not will be cut off and thrown into the flames. And the disciples come to know and to see that their only hope of life is to remain in Christ even as Christ's life becomes increasingly difficult, even as Christ's life becomes increasingly paradoxical. And so that's the message. That wherever you are and whatever you're doing, remain in Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Keep your your hands and your feet and everything that you are rooted in Him. And the way that we do that is not just by willing ourselves to it, it's by continuing to gaze on Him. It's by continuing to look at Him, to watch for Him, to expect Him to show up. To keep your eyes on the front door of your life, waiting for Christ to knock, because He will. And He has shown up, and He's present to us in the Scriptures, and if we will read, if we will gaze on them, we will begin to be formed by them. He's made himself present to us in this table. And if we will continue to keep our eyes focused on it, we will begin to see and to encounter him in new and fresh ways. He's made himself present to us in the church. And even though we're a bunch of knuckleheads, (laughs) we are the gift of God to one another. And if we will keep our eyes fixed on Christ together, that's the man, I was just I was moved today hearing everybody sing, We believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. To hear the voices that are coming here, because we come and we practice and we try to put it together, we really do our best, I promise you. Uh, you know. We do our best to lead you in worship, but you can't lead if no one will follow. So there, and there's, there was just this moment today where I thought, ah, we're one. We're one. We're all looking at Christ together. And it's not about who's up front and who's in the seat and who's over here doing their thing. 
but it's about the fact that all our eyes are fixed on Christ together as one. So would you come to the table this morning, fixing your eyes, fixing your hearts on Christ, asking that he might show us how we can behold him, how we can abide in him, how we can hold him close to ourselves this morning. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that you did not remain in heaven by yourself, but you have made yourself available to us in the body and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you enable us to open our hearts to you today, to open our minds to you today, to seek you above all things, to truly, Lord, behold the Lamb, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.